Real quick addendum because we forgot this in the uh, in our rundown of the news, but uh, the World Video Game Walk of Fame has opened in Ottumwa, Iowa, which is the home of uh, Walter Day's Twin Galaxies, uh, and has been called the birthplace of competitive esports. So everyone should check that out. All right, let's get on with it. Hello. Good. Thank you. I may sound a little raspy today. My allergies are not happy. But, well, best wishes. But we're powering through it. Um, in a minute, we're going to be talking to Nick Vivid. He is a member of our staff, first and foremost, but he's also a musician, and he's um, actually a co- an accomplished musician. He's got a new album out, and he uses some C64 stuff in that, and... He's fun to talk to, so we're gonna talk to him in a bit. Before that, good to mention actually is that he released it also on a cassette. Yes, yes, you can get it on a cassette. Um, before we get to that, though, we're gonna go through the the normal, regular news stuff that we normally do. So, you want to start that off? Sure. Okay, news. So. We spoke the last times in our news about the news from Cinemaware Retro. Mm-hmm. And we actually got even two updates from Sven Fersing, who is the head of Cinemaware Retro. And this Retro. was Cinemaware had been purchased by a, another company called... Uh, yeah, They were purchased by Starbreeze. And so we were kind of... Um, we weren't really sure what was happening with... Cinemaware, Cinemaware Retro, which is what Sven is involved with and, and who we kind of talked to when we did our podcast like two years ago with them. Yes. So to to explain that, Cinemaware Re, um, Retro is a label that was created by Sven Fersing as a separated sub-company, you could say, mm-hmm. um, on the... 13th of anniversary Amiga meeting at Noise, Germany last November. And so this is separated from the deal with Star, Star Priest. That means he will still release all the things he promised that would be it came from the desert for the Mega Drive in an enhanced version than the version that was released unofficially without a commercial release. And this, um, well, this, it came from the desert, will be in a real packaging and so on. As you could hear in our interview with him and Matt Falkas um, so in our second that. podcast. They're yeah, still going to so do like this, the, the Sega Mega Drive, yes. which is Genesis to us in the yes. U.S., and he, they are still working on Wings Reloaded for the Amiga, 
Okay. So that is that thing that was kickstarted for the PC originally and was released, and now they are releasing it um, on their own as a new Amiga game. That is happening too. Hmm. And okay. he is working on the he is working on the um, Rocket Ranger Collector's Edition, and he's almost completed with that. And it should be sent out as soon as possible. Um, okay. Yes. So maybe even before Gamescom, let's see. Hmm. Right. So that is still happening. And after that, after that is out, everybody who who ordered pre-ordered the Rocket Ranger Collector's Edition with all the versions of the game ever released. There will be a five-person um, code being emailed for a five-person um, discount on, well, on Defender of the Crown Collector's Edition. Cool. Yes. So that's the news that you spread in the newsletter recently. Excellent. Well, that's all safe. Nice. That's, that's nothing good to, to worry know because about. Because we were concerned because Starbreeze had purchased, you know, pretty much all the intellectual property rights of Cinemaware, and we were concerned that some of the things that they had planned might not happen because of that. But it's good to see that they are still going ahead and everything is continuing as planned. Yeah. Well. This yes, this is good because Sven Fersing started his own thing as a subdivision of the company with Cinema Re- Retro. Hmm. Right. Yes. So, other news is we will be at Gamescom. Yes. And have a booth at Hall 10.2 Family and Friends area. The same area that we had like last year and the year before nice nice yes and as you know the year before we had a booth as well mm-hmm. and we will do this booth this year again with Hans high score cool. as a team booth who are um well doing sound stuff with video games mm-hmm. and they also did um live acts with well sound background sounds um, at the Film and Games Museum project in the Frankfurt Film Museum last year right? that we also had a part in with our Twitch live show. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, and who also will be there is David Plessens, who was the former CEO of Commodore UK. And before that, he was um, in marketing and and so on. And we, we did an interview with him for SeamWorld on YouTube, youtube.seamworld.org. And he will be there with Friends Up, which is that networked um, operating system that is, well, in some degree, largely based on the concept that Amiga OS had. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. And he will be there as well. And he will be also there for interviews or being asked questions and so on. So that means if you want to meet him and if you want to meet up with him at Gamescom and 
have a chat mm -hmm. or an interview, you can email him at plasins at friendsos.com. Cool. And, and what, what, what's the name of the OS again? Friends OS. Friends OS? Yes. Like Friends, the Jennifer Anderson. Friends, friendsos.com is the URL, and the operating system is called Friends App. Okay, yes. That's all right. Yes. Friends App is like a network based operating system that is working in the network mm -hmm. and is supposed to work in any platform, any computer, any right. system. Right. It's pretty cool. Hmm. Yeah. So they will have a booth there, Friends App, and um, they will also be in the retro area. Cool, cool. Where David Plessens will be. I've got one here from uh, coming from the UK. Here, uh, we didn't, we haven't really covered this much because I, you know, it's not really within our our scope. It is retro computing, but we tend to focus more on Commodore and stuff like that. But the the Sinclair ZX, as they say over there, um, there is a a a a, a Development of a newer platform, uh, the, the Sinclair ZX Spectrum Vega, which is a handheld version that you can play. Um, I've got an article here. It says that, uh, this was, well, for, first, it says that there are problems within this because of lawsuits and resignations. Um, the Vega raised over 400,000 pounds on Indiegogo. Uh, which was well over 300% of the target that it had done. Wow. That it wanted. Yeah. It was hugely successful in that. Uh, in February, um, it, it's marketed by, by Retro Computers, which is, uh, of, of which Sir Clive Sinclair's research is a shareholder. Um, in February, Retro said that development of the Vega was complete and a fully functioning prototype was ready to go into production. Um, but in July, uh, a person called Nick Cooper representing a company called Cornerstone Media, uh, wrote the person who wrote this article, an email, um, Cor Cooper claimed Cornerstone is behind the national sales release of the Vega and said the contract between itself and retro computers had been terminated. Uh, Cooper said Cornerstone became aware of issues and disputes within retro computers and the subsequent ongoing legal disputes between the various parties, including the ownership of the intellectual property on both the Vega and the Vega Plus. Um, turns out retro computers managers had a falling out. Back in April, two of the directors, Chris Smith and Paul Andrews, quit retro due to irreconcilable differences between them and the last remaining director, David Levy. Dr. Levy, according to marketing material, is a British international master of chess who is president of the International Computer Games Association and the founder of the Computer Olympiads. Uh, turns out he does not adore his former partners in retro. Not anymore, anyway. Apparently, neither Smith or Andrews are involved in the management, but they remain shareholders. Basically, there's a whole bunch of stuff that is weird and confusing and is happening within the organization that's trying to produce this. 
and um, Retro Computers is taking legal action against Cornerstone because Cornerstone is refusing to sell it, even though the Vega is still available to buy online. So it's a uh, it's 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 very kind of odd. We hope it gets sorted out and everything continues on as it is. But it's just one of those those things that that seems to hit a lot of these kind of you know the crowdfunded campaigns to do this. There's like infighting and and just things go wrong. And is again, hopefully everything sorts out and and things are cool again. But we have to wait and see. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's always a problem with copyrights and all that too. Um, right, so. and this and this and this does you know have some relevance because the Vega and the Vega Plus, one was a redesigned ZX Spectrum and the other was the the Spectrum in the handheld form, and that's similar to what they're doing with uh, the Z64, who we talked to a couple of months ago because they're doing an actual. You know, the console version, which is, you know, with the keyboard and just looks like an old 64, but they're also planning to do a handheld version of the thing as well. So, uh, you know, this is the kind of thing that can happen in these, in these campaigns. And, you know, they are sort of um, parallel projects in that they're both doing the same kind of thing with retro machines and coming out with the handheld versions. So, you know, we hope that nothing like this happens, of course, to the 64, and it doesn't seem like it will, but but still, I mean, this is of relevance to, you know, this kind of scene. Well, the thing is, the, um, the person behind the 64, actually, he was smart enough to clear that copyright thing and trademark and so on yeah. with the current trademark holders, in advance, so yeah, it's actually pretty pretty sneak. Um, and of, speaking of current trademark holders, uh, we've got we've got a new Commodore phone, the Leo. Yeah, we got a new Commodore phone before I can even get rid of my old Commodore phone, which is still sitting here because they sent it back. Um, huh. You should do something with that. I yeah, don't know. I I don't know what to do with it because I don't I I you know they it was sent to us as a as a as a demo. It's a demo unit, right? We didn't buy it. We didn't. It it doesn't it doesn't belong to us, right? You know, it's sitting there, and I think to myself, well, you know, I could maybe take it out and use it as you know an iPod or. You know, a, 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 it takes decent enough video. I could use it for that sort of thing. But, I mean, at the same time, it doesn't belong to me. And I don't want to take it out and maybe break it. or, or And then have them be like, oh, by the way, you know, three years ago we sent you this. We want it back. Because, yeah, well, you know, I, so I'm, I'm just – it's in a box. And it's in the box I sent it. I haven't opened it since it got sent back to me. And, you know, whatever. But uh, but so anyway, there's a uh, they've got a new a new phone coming out, and their uh, their their description on their website first their website used to be commodoresmart.com, and it's not anymore. Commodore Smart doesn't exist. The new website is now commodore-cbm.com. I don't know why, whatever. But they've got a new phone called the Leo. 
Uh, the actual website, there really isn't much information there yet, but the description on their website is <clears throat> a stable device with a unique style, which is not altogether... Um, <laughs> it's not very... It doesn't sell it too much. It's like, eh, it's it's stable and, and looks okay. <laughs> it works. Yeah, and then underneath, Commodore has understood its customers' requests. You mean for, for better tech support? And decided to propose the new Commodore Leo, a faster, solid, stable smartphone with a fine chassis and an elegant style, but at an affordable price. Commodore Leo will be your faithful companion at work, traveling, at home, and in leisure time. Now, I I don't know. It's the kind of phone you would like to put under your pillow. Yeah, you, you know, all that stuff, it's solid, stable, fine chassis. None of that is really, you know, this is the best phone ever. It's, it's no, it's, it's, it's solid. It's, it doesn't crash. It's made of material. You know, I've got a I've got to review one guy. Um, there's a Wired uh, Italy, and you know when when the smart when the pet came out, um, initial reviews all seemed to be on, on Wired and you know Gawker and all these other sites were all by this Maurizio Pesci guy, and here again we have an exclusive first look at the Leo by Maurizio Pesci. Um, and the article's in Italian. I've got it translated here. I'm not going to read it because it's long, but. Uh, Tell us the major issues. Um, it's, it's got rear front and rear. Uh, it's got rear panel gorilla glass. Uh, the screen is smaller. Uh, three gigahertz with two gigs of memory. Uh, 16, uh. 16 megapixel main camera. Front is 8. Operating system is Android 5.1. That's Lollipop. That's the same as the pet. Uh, I think they're up to, up to almost releasing version 7 now. And it's, still... it's actually out now. It's, is it? I think it's called Nuch... Nougat or something. Yeah, Nougat. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's, so it's not a huge, uh, upgrade over the pet. Uh, I, I'm guessing it's the same exact. It says here the operating system is Android 5.1 with minimum interface customization, including wallpapers, themes, and two uh, emulators, uh, which are also available for free on the Play Store. Um, so, no preloaded games. You have the same issue with trying to get them on as you did with the other one. Uh, you know, it, it's essentially it's the same one with a little bit of a different. I mean, slightly bumped specs, but nothing. You know, it's not like the you know fantastic next generation of phone. But we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. Uh, it's not out yet. You can't get it yet. Uh, if you go to the website, it's just. I guess you can request uh, an email when something happens. Nice. But there's no, uh, there's nothing in the store. Or, well, there is no store at the moment, I don't think. But the pet phone is stable, was stable. It didn't crash on you while you did your review. 
yeah, for the most part, it was it was stable enough. Um, I couldn't get I couldn't get Chrome to work. Uh, Which is weird since it's Google Chrome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, Google Android, I mean Google yeah. Android OS. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean it was stable enough. I, I didn't, you know, I I played some games and whatnot. Didn't have any problems with it, but I mean, it's a decent enough phone. It's just, and and I think my my major complaint with it was just the fact that that it was way overpriced for what it was. You know, I I I wouldn't have minded putting down, you know, a hundred, two hundred dollars on that. You know, because it was a you know it was a year old. It had been released already, in in China. It was as a wow phone. Yeah. yeah, it had been around the block for a bit, and you know, so it wasn't brand new stuff. You could get a lot better of a phone for you know for the same price as this. So all you're really paying for is is the, having the logo, you know, silk screened onto onto the battery and, and the back of the case and, and, and all the little removable parts on it. So, hmm. I mean, you know, it, it the novelty is fun. It's, it's cool to start it up and see the logo, you know, but, but I, you know, I mean, I, and, and I don't even know what the situation, I guess they, they're going ahead with a new phone. I, last I heard, they were still in legal trouble over using the name Commodore. And they were betting on the fact that Commodore never did a smartphone. Therefore, they can do whatever they want with the name because they're not encroaching on what Commodore used to do. And I don't know, I don't know how much of a of a leg there is to stand on that, you know, as far as legally. But I mean, I guess they're, you know, they're they're doubling down on it because they're trying to make something new. Right. So, next thing is, um, in the last Retopla show, Senat was um, very much positively talking about his experience on playing um, the Wheel of Fortune with us. Thank you, Senat. And um, we heard your wishes for more shows. And so, on the 28th of August... We will have another show, and that's a Sunday. That's the last Sunday in August, the Sunday after Gamescom. We will play with Marnesa Ortega on Twitch. Yes, a professional who's going to beat our asses, probably. Probably, yeah, because I suck at playing video games. Um, I even lost against AJ in Pitstop 2. What do you mean, even lost? It still hurts me. that's just because I'm I'm a I'm an expert. I'm I'm a, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a champion here. And this show will be broadcasted at uh, twitch.tv/sceneworld at 9 p.m. in the Central European Summer Time, which is 3 p.m. on your side in your time zone in the U.S. Which time zone is that, Aisha? I am Eastern Standard Time. At Easter Standard Time. And that would be noon Pacific Time. Right. Which is the time some Vanessa lives in. Yes. So, our next guest, Vanessa Ortega on uh, twitch.tv slash sceneworld or in the Twitch section on our homepage, sceneworld.org. And feel free to join, come in, and participate. Yep. And uh, sh- l- l- look 
at us how we <laughs> look when we lose against professional e-gamers. Yeah. Uh, because we never did that before. Yeah. It's another first. Yes. Um, oh, I got, I got one here. Um, you know, we harp on the extra life thing continuously and we're doing it again this year but now we're also uh, we have a scene world team for able gamers able gamers yeah yes so go over to that uh i will put the link in the description because i can't think of what it is off the top of my head here um and yeah donate we're going to be doing something similar probably to that to extra life 24 hours of gaming uh um it's it's a little different able gamers they they um they actually are a, are um, a thing that collects money and support for handicapped um, children who right. cannot play video games with normal input controllers right. like gamepads and so on. So they put an effort into making possible for that kids that they can play video games like you and me and having a normal childhood. Yes. So that means, for example, like modified game controllers and so on. Uh, for example, um, NVIDIA is, is known f to, um, to support that direction, you know. With their latest Steam controller, some uh, community community member made it possible to reprogram the controller so somebody could play the games with one hand uh -huh. and Nvidia said wow that's cool we will support that so that's one of those things you know mm -hmm. so they do things a little bit differently there's different ways that you can you can raise money for it we'll probably do something along the same lines as the extra life which means that we'll have uh, we'll be doing two 24-hour gaming things this year. Well, I don't know. I mean, there's it's not yet specifically clear if they have a similar event. We will see what we do. That I mean, we could also make a show not going 24 hours or yeah. making making more than one show and and so on. Yeah. No, there's lots right. of different ways. Exactly. So the donor donor drive page is their donation page, yeah. and their main page is ablegamers.com. Right. So we'll put links to our our donation pages in there, so everyone can donate. We'll uh, we'll we'll give out more information as we know more and as we figure out what's going on. So. Right. So what else is up? You had a uh, a meeting in, in, at a slow donkey. Yes, at the Slow Donkey restaurant with former Commodoreans mm -hmm. from Germany and Switzerland. And I mentioned that in the last podcast that we had that I would write a report on it. Mm -hmm. And it can now be read on our blog at sceneworld.org slash blog. Right. And also, I was participant in the digital... Um, games conference mm -hmm. called Power Up Power Up Digital Games Conference. Yep. And I held a speech on the topic of scene world and how how my experience is with the video game industry. 
and I also mentioned you, of course, in the podcast and <laughs> all our development. And this is also now on YouTube because uh, Setabyte Marketing, who held the conference, was kind enough to give us permission to upload it to our YouTube. So you can this, you can see that and um, listen to that at youtube.symbol.org. So that is out too. And yeah, and this conference will will be repeated after a while. Yeah, so, and it was a conference that was um, virtual over a conference platform called Discord. And that's actually pretty nifty, so. Discord, isn't that for, that's a... um... Similar to like TeamSpeaker or, or something to that effect where you can communicate with people whilst gaming and other stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And they're used used it for the conference. Okay. Yeah, you know, I was one of the early uh I I got a copy of that real early before it was even like public and I just I never used it. Well now I did. It was pretty nifty. Okay. Didn't have much problem with it. Cool. So the longer we are doing this, the more interested people get in that. Mm-hmm. So it's gaining interest yeah. here. So it's the first time that um, I was invited in a video game um, conference as a speaker. So thanks for um, for that by my friends, our friends from the video game industry. It was a great pleasure and honor to talk. And... The part, the partition. Um, there were was quite some participation, mm-hmm. um, and good question asked. So, feel free to check it out. Yeah, we got some new stuff up on YouTube too. Um, in the last couple of weeks, we've got aside from your speech or uh, from your presentation there, uh, we also have um, Andrew, our editor, did a unboxing and demonstration of uh, Shotgun. Which exactly. Is, yeah. A multiplayer game for yes. the multiplayer adapter. Uh-huh. And Kevin Castiles, another one of our fine editors and one of the more prolific of the reviewers, uh reviewed the Vic MIDI cartridge for the Vic twenty. So exactly. that's that's pretty nifty as well. Yes. And John did did a speech on the topic of collecting yes. Commodore stuff. Yes he did. We hope to see more from him in the future because he was pretty awesome as well. So yes, a lot of awesome <laughs> reviewers, yeah. a lot of awesome reviews, and we got some pretty good feedback on the video. So thanks, guys. Yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. Okay, got anything else? I can't think of anything else. All right, well, let's get to uh, Nick. Nick is hanging out over there waiting for us, and uh, yeah. Let's go talk to him. Oh, so welcome to the show, Nick. Thank you for having me. It is great to be here at the Scene World Podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because you are a supporter since the second issue, actually, and it's the first time that we actually talk on Skype. Yeah. So, so not the first time we talked, but yeah, first time on Skype. True. Yes, because I found your phone number and I called you. Right. <laughs> he, he does that. <laughs> I was like, who, who is calling me from Germany? 
<laughs> you can't be a bill collector. They <laughs> yes. Um, so we should introduce uh, Nick. He, he is that guy that originally started out as a reader first. And then later on, he joined this team when I asked him to join. And the first thing he did for us actually was NTSC fixing the voodoo noter. Interestingly. Which I don't know how I did that because I wasn't very good at that point. <laughs> at yeah. you know, I just I just messed around with the code until it worked and then it started working. And I said, uh, the, I think I knew uh, DO12 and I said, well, I think if I mess with the LDA value before <laughs> D012 uh, it's, and I change it to something that might make the machine do what it's supposed to do, then then we'll have a fix. And that's I think that's all I did, but I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. It <laughs> because back in that day, not not everybody of us had internet, and people were still sending disks in. And um, and the interesting thing is, when when we organized the magazine, we totally forgot that Wudunota would trash on American machines. Okay. <laughs> so I was like, oh my God, we have a problem here, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, um, so let, let me ask you actually, how did you start with the Commodore 64? Uh, well, uh, when I was a kid, my dad's a ham radio operator and also just into electronics and, um, he was always into kind of what was coming out and what was new. And he, in, for his kids, he always wanted to help them, you know, see the future. You know, he wanted to give them a leg up. So uh, when I was a little kid, I think he we had a Texas Instruments TI-99, uh, which had, you know, we had like the, the uh, Star Trek game for it and Hunt the Wumpus. I remember that one. Um and for himself, since he was in the ham radio, he was getting into uh, doing uh, – uh, uh, sorry, my mind's blanking, of course. Uh, he was getting into doing uh, Morse code with, uh, with the computer. And he got a VIC-20, and it had the RS-232 interface, and he had an old teletype machine from the 60s that he hooked up and he actually got the VIC-20 to read the Morse code and uh, print it out on the teletype and that was a really big deal. So uh, that was my first introduction to the Commodore. I think we may have had a game or two for that computer. I also remember we had the Timex Sinclair uh, computer which was kind of neat and we'd play Hangman and stuff on that with a little tape drive. And then uh, one day there was a kid down the street from me at a Commodore 64 this kid Sonny, and his mom was like really into supporting his computer. You know, he had a lot of games. He had all these discs with a disc drive, and it was a cool thing. And I was like, Dad, Dad, I need to get one of these. This is the greatest thing. And he's like, Well, I already bought you two other computers. I already had the VIC twenty, um, and those. I don't want to invest money into another computer that's only going to last us six months. You know, because at that time they were costing hundreds of dollars. Um, I said, no, this one's going to last a long time. So he went over there with me to their house and, and we saw this, you know, he saw the computer and he was like, okay, this, this has some potential to last for a while as opposed to the other computers that were out of style and, you know, couldn't really do much past playing Hangman. And then, um, so he got me the Commodore 64 
and then we'd go to uh, then we'd have a, a, a monthly group, actually a weekly group at a, a, a rec center that had uh, a Commodore 64 group every Monday night, and people would bring the SX64s. They would just bring their entire systems, you know, the the and the, it would end up being these huge copy parties. There was also like some guys doing geos coding in the corner, like a little like impromptu. Uh, you know, thing where a guy would do a, a an educational lesson on some aspect of coding or programming. Mostly, it was guys who were into business stuff, though. A lot of the game kids uh, would just sit in the corner and copy discs. You know, it's like, oh, you got Skate or Die, awesome. Oh, wow, yours actually copies of just a nibbler. You know, <laughs> like this is great. You know, I just got the ESI version; it'll copy perfectly. It's a big deal. <laughs> so um, that was kind of what. Uh, that's kind of what I got into. Then my dad had a, a store where he had his electronics repair business, and then the other half of it was kind of empty, and he didn't know what to do with it. And I, am I going on too long? By the way, <laughs> no, no, this is like my entire Commodore history. Um, my my dad then uh, had this other half of his store that he wasn't doing anything with. He thought he was gonna like. Uh, rented out uh, offices to small businesses, and that never really took off. Meanwhile, he had hired this guy, Jimmy, who was a BBS operator, one of the BBSs I called, who was repairing stuff with him. And Jimmy one day said, hey, this computer store down the block's going out of business, and they got a lot of stuff, and he wants to sell it cheap. And my dad said, you know, I could turn the other half of my store into a computer store, and let's see if it works. And one day he just bought their entire inventory, and the next week, we opened the other half of my dad's shop as a Commodore 64 game rental business. And every wow. day after school, I would come down and we'd rent games. We'd buy the new games that came out. We'd go to people's houses and buy lots of, you know, games that they had. You know, guy had like 50, 60 disc originals with the boxes and the manuals and everything. We'd buy them. We'd rent the games out every week. And also, at the same time, my dad was fixing old Commodore machines, so PLA chips would go bad. Um, you know, we'd start, re we'd start fixing them. We'd fix the monitors. Um, and that kind of became a thing. We did that for a couple of years, and it was, it was actually really fruitful, you know, really at the right place at the right time, late 80s. And uh, every day after elementary and middle school, I would run over there and hang out till he closed. And that's kind of what I did with my childhood. <laughs> but he didn't know that you would hang on it still today. Yeah, it's one of the few things, you know, I I got into that and I got into making music at the same time. And those are the two things I still like to do. <laughs> so, yeah, I kind of, I, I've stayed in a state of arrested development ever since. Okay. <laughs> So, and um, how did you start your scene career then? I was, I, I used to get games, you know, first I got into BBSing, first we had Quantum Link, and then my dad got the bill, my dad got the bill for that after one month, and he said, you're not doing this anymore. <laughs> yeah, I had the same experience. <laughs> <laughs> so, then another kid showed me at the Monday night swap meetings, oh, there's this thing called BBSs, and they're free, and people just run them, and here's the thing called Magic Term, and you can use this to call boards, and that would just opened up a whole world. I wanted to be a BBS operator, and I wanted, you know, oh, man, where's boards and all this stuff, and uh, 
Jimmy, who worked at my dad's shop, was really connected with some of the local group guys, like the Inner Circle guys. And they would get all the latest releases from Europe. And he'd have like 50 discs in a disc box for me at my dad's shop the next day that were, you know, we didn't rent these out. We kept these behind the counter just for us. And I would just copy discs from Jimmy every day. And I would have groups like Abyss and FBR on the intros and Eagle Soft and, um, uh, you know, Triad, Fairlight, all these groups. And I was just, these guys to me, like, were just awesome. You know, I would just like look at these guys in awe and be like, I want to do that. I don't want to program games. I don't necessarily want to create the games. I don't, I'm not necessarily interested in that. I want to learn how to crack games. I want to learn how to break copy protection. And I want to create a cool intro with my logo flashing all over the place with all these cool colors and this cool music. And that's what I liked. That's what I thought. I liked I liked always, no matter what I've done, music or computers, I've liked underground illegal stuff. I don't know why. I've always liked things that were just raw, dirty, underground, and very borderline, if not outright illegal. <laughs> I've just always been drawn to that, uh, the dark side of things. So for me... Getting into the scene was just uh, admiration for what those guys did. And then in the late 90s, I kind of got out of it into the, into the 90s. I got an IBM. My Commodore got put in the, you know, put in the closet. And I think while in Europe it was having this huge renaissance, or not even renaissance, but it was still growing in the demo scene, you know, everybody had moved on to the Nintendo here. And then the Sega. And it was just like, it, you know... I think when Super Mario Brothers didn't get an official port on the Commodore, it kind of signaled the end because Super Mario Brothers was the game that everybody was playing on the Nintendo. And I think it had it come out on the Commodore 64, it would have kept the life going. But it was considered not cool because they didn't have Super Mario Brothers. And even the the bootleg port of Gianna Sisters, yeah. <laughs> no Super Mario Brothers, <laughs> wasn't the same. <laughs> Yeah, and it just didn't it didn't work, and people. Um, I think that that killed it in America. You know, I know there was a lot of business stuff on inside Commodore that was going wrong. <laughs> well, Gianna from my perspective, as a sixteen year old kid or whatever, you know, or fourteen year old kid or whatever I was at the time, it that was the end. And so I put that away, and I got an IBM, and I forgot about the Commodore until the late nineties, hmm. and then. Um, when I got back into it, I noticed all these inside demo making and coding programs started coming out. So I could get the Fairlight, you know, intro maker and I could get the FBR intro maker. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, these are the tools these guys were using. And I didn't know how to use any of them. But the fact that I actually had access to them kind of made me want to go back and finish old business. Right. So I kind of started studying from there and learning learning little bits from there. Hmm. But in America, we really didn't have a scene, especially in my hometown. Nobody was a coder. Nobody was into creating graphics. We just copied games at swap parties. Nobody knew how to build uh, a, an intro. Nobody knew how to crack a game. 
I didn't really, I didn't understand any of that stuff other than the, I had the program protection manual uh, that I forget was the Phantom, I think, put out the CSM program protection manual and I cracked an SSI game. I remember I took a disk read protection error off of that once and I thought that was a big deal. But um, it wasn't cool like what the European guys seemed to be doing. Over here, it just—it was just like we had swap parties, but there was nothing cool going on. I liked what the European guys were doing. I wanted to be like them. Yeah, and actually, that's interesting because um, when when Triven died the first time, and and I was I was coming up with this idea of doing scene world of doing a disc mech, and exactly that is what what I heard from the European people. Like, there's nothing. There's nobody in America. So this will be plain boring and this will be right. unsuccessful. And and then I met Dest Dustin Chambers, Fuzz, and he was like, Oh, well, I know those guys like HA and uh, you know and and um uh, Macbeth, you know. Mm -hmm. And and I don't know exactly how, but I, I think I think you you Nick I think you either wrote me an email or you left a comment in our guest book somehow you found us or did I okay yeah and uh, <laughs> yeah well I don't remember any details uh, because now I'm old and and I yeah, yeah. I'm forgettable <laughs> um, but but I wonder what were your thoughts when you saw that that there is a disc Mac coming out trying to unite the both worlds I don't remember I really don't um, it, it, at that time I think I wanted to be I wanted to be part of the whole thing so I was probably just reaching out to anybody who w would accept somebody who didn't have that much experience it seemed it seemed and it still to this day seems pretty insular as far as if we don't already know you and you're not already accepted by us you're kind of still an outsider. And I think I always wanted to be an insider with the scene, but I feel like still to this day, I'm a bit of an outsider and that's fine with me. Um, I'm not going to have the, the history that a lot of those groups have together. I'm not going to have the sense of community that a lot of those groups have together uh, because I wasn't with them back then. And I think that's kind of what all of their friendships are based on now. Even when I release a new piece of music, on uh, CSDB or something, I don't get. I get the amount of downloads that everybody else seems to get, and I think there's people who really enjoy what I'm putting out there. But I feel like I'm not getting the same amount of comments because I'm not one of their buddies. Right. I'm not one of the friends of the groups, and that's that's totally fine. I totally get that for what it is. There's a certain support system that's been in place for a long time that I wasn't part of. You know, and um, I'm still not quite part of, and that's okay with me. I I I could work harder to be part of it, and uh, I just haven't for whatever reason. But uh, so I I think maybe when I see anybody, especially back then, not so much now, but back then, probably when I saw you guys reaching out asking for people to be part of what you were doing. Um, I was probably more excited about it just because I, w I was an outsider and it seemed to, that seemed to be okay with you. Uh, so that's probably why I, I was excited about it in the first place. Ah, interesting. Sometimes it's yeah. good to be a bit of an outsider because you have to uh, 
A lot, a lot of times when you're part of like the inner cliques, you can put out crap and everyone's still like, awesome, you know, because, you right. know, again, like you said, it's a support structure that's been built up over the years. So when you're an outsider, you actually have to work a little bit harder to, to make sure that what you're doing is actually good. Right. And, and well, for me, it's, it's also been about just being, uh, I could be proud of doing something I've never done before, but a lot of those guys may have done it 20 years ago, mm-hmm. you know? And so for me, a huge accomplishment, I remember I did some disc mag code, uh, maybe like a year and a half ago that uh, oddly enough looks a lot like the old sex and crime magazine, which I'd never seen before. So I happened to be ripping off a design I didn't even know existed. <laughs> Uh, but for me, it was a huge accomplishment and it was my own idea. But, uh, then somebody was like, oh, your code is crap. You know, (laughs) I was like, like, okay, well, that's fine. You know, to me, it's a huge deal because I actually did it and I didn't even think I was capable of it. So, uh, you know, it's, it's fine though. I, you know, coding's never really been my main thing anyway. I just wanted to see if I could do it, Hmm. you know, but, um. I'm much more into writing, you know, making music these days. I've always been kind of more into making music, uh, but making music on the Sid is something it's it's been more my focus. So it's fine. Yeah, it's it's interesting because what you say about the inner circle and so on. I think this is exactly how we started too, because. I remember people like saying, oh, this is crap, you know, oh, this is crap, (laughs) like for many, many issues. And um, then in 2005, we finally stopped and saying, okay, we have enough. And then when when Andrew surprised me, like when I was visiting in 2010, he was like, hey, I got all the stuff together. We can release our final issue of Scene World. Yeah, well, that was kind of the reaction when I had to Scene World, and I've said it before, you know, I was... When Scene World started, I was kind of part of that inner inner circle thing because I had worked with with, with Driven and uh, Vandalism and Domination and all these other magazines and the Crest. And then Jörg comes at me and says, hey, we're doing this magazine. It's going to be NTSC and PAL, and we want to fill the void left by Driven. And I said, okay. And when I mentioned it to other people, there was such a backlash. Everyone was like, don't even, don't even get involved with this because it's going to be crap. And so mm-hmm. I, I sat out the first issue because I was like, I'm not going to, I don't want to be associated with it yet unless I see what it is. <laughs> right. So, so afraid for your own reputation. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Meanwhile, there's like, you know, how many of us are there in the, like, as far as diehard Commodore guys, maybe like you know, a couple hundred. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very important. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. Really because ever since we returned, people were keeping asking, so when is the next issue coming out? Will there be more? And since yeah. then, everybody is like happy, you know? Right. Everybody well, is happy. It, to- takes, it takes time for people to consider you legitimate, you know? I think in anything you do, and longevity has its own kind of set of uh, uh, cachet that comes with it. You get respect just by sticking around long enough. Mm-hmm. Or by die and rebir- re- uh, getting reborn. Well, I, right. also, I also think it's it's you know we in the beginning at least at least with me when I tried doing this I tried to make it like um, I wanted my contribution to be um, up to standard I guess 
And as time went on, I stopped caring what other people thought. So now I might, you know, I'll do a feedback feedback chapter, and it's nonsense. Like right. everything I answer to people makes no it doesn't answer their question. It doesn't, you know, it's just garbage. <laughs> but right, but it people works because it. right, it works because I don't care what people think anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think keep yeah, I think the less you care what people think, the better off your art is, whatever yeah. that is. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, so I guess we've never been in a better state with the magazine and all the other activities. <laughs> Everybody is telling us, oh, this is awesome. Man, it's the next issue coming out. Yeah. So, right. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's actually interesting to see the totally opposite. One, right. one outsider, right. one insider. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, you're still around. <laughs> um, right. So you, do you use that because you do music in, in general, like outside of the 64, but you do music with the 64 and... Yeah, that's it's the way I kind of stay connected to it lately mm-hmm. uh, is it's always here and it's like uh, I need to... And, and plus the sound of the SID chip was a huge part of my upbringing. You mm-hmm. know, I'd listen to a lot of, you know, rock and roll records and, uh, and uh, synth records growing up, but then there was also the music that... I'd see on Commodore 64 games or, you know, some mornings I'd just load up the Tubular Bells demo and just listen to that music <laughs> all morning. You know, that would be, that would, before I go to school, that's what I would do. And um, so, yeah, there's definitely a lot of inspiring sounds and, and songs that came out of, out of the SID for me. So that's kind of what I've been focusing on lately with it. I kind of got all my demoing stuff out of my system. Everything, you know, I, I accomplished all the stuff that I kind of wanted to do. And, mm-hmm. you know, NTSC fixed all the games I wanted to fix for the most part. <laughs> and I got that all out of my system. So, yeah, that's kind of what my focus is on with the computer these days. I want to make sure it stays in my life till the end of eternity. But, uh, yeah. that, uh, yeah, that's kind of how I, how I use it mostly lately. Okay, so you incorporate that into the other stuff that you're doing, like the the music. Yeah, now. yeah, I've been um, like in the last record. I put uh, there's three or four songs on the album that have Commodore 64 uh, Sid stuff in them. Mm. Uh, they're part of the main melody or at least filler of sound effects. I uh, didn't listen to the tape yet. I have to do that. This did week. you get the tape though? Yeah, should should I, I have to listen to the tape? Is okay. there other? Um, Tunes on it that have the C64 sound in well, it? Well, in the, the song Doxed is the main melody is the 64 doubled with other keyboards. So oh. the, the main sequence line on the song Doxed is a SID. Um, there's a sound effect coming in at the very top of Everybody's Lost that's got a SID on it. Uh, uh, see, now I'm blanking. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I know there's Sid on like one or two other songs. I can't think at the moment. <laughs> but then, you know, there's just other 64 songs I just released by themselves. There's one called El Nino I did. There's, um, there's a cover I'm working on right now that I'm trying to make the Commodore the basis of. Um, nice. That I'm trying to get the bass and, you know, keyboard sounds right for. And then I'll probably double up a drum machine on top of it and some real guitars and some other keyboards to fill that one in. Um. Yeah, but so, yeah, I'm constantly using it as a source of inspiration. So when when the new Maxis is finally out and we have NTSC fixed music routine, then you definitely should send us one to use for the new okay. issue. 
Okay. Yeah, I, I I need to write something that I think would be good for the magazine. That I'm I'm still yeah. something hectic. <laughs> I like slower, moodier, funkier. Pieces. No, that was a joke, of course. No, yeah. for a magazine, it should be. You need something you can read yes. to kind of get into, you know. So I'm not something that makes you nervous when you listen to yeah. it. That won't, that won't work. <laughs> oh, I'm freaking out! I have to put. <laughs> Let me read this article. <laughs> yeah. nice great so you did a lot of stuff on the Commodore 64 BBS, NTSC fixing game cracking yeah yeah. but uh, just a little bit of each of those things and, and for the most part I wasn't necessarily at, uh, especially for the game cracking BBS thing I, there were always people who did it better than I did but I always wanted just to do it, just to know how it worked, and to see the you know the wizard behind the the curtain, you know. Uh, I I just I was always fascinated by how you know how all that, how especially demos and crack intros, how all that kind of worked, and um, and and especially seeing decompression routines. When I was a little kid and you hit the space bar after the crack intro and you see all this like weird garbled text on the screen and the board is flashing while the game's loading in memory, I just thought it was cool because you were like almost seeing the inside of the computer. Yeah. You know? And you're seeing all that all that stuff happening. Yeah, actually. I always yeah. thought I always thought decrunch routines and depack <laughs> routines were pretty badass to look at. Actually, uh, for the tape loaders, I've written an article some weeks ago that actually the bars have a meaning, depending how thick they are, what color they have, and how fast they turn. So on tape fast loaders, they actually have a meaning. Yeah. Well, a specific meaning on every single one, like universally, or depending on which loader? Depending on the loader you have, right. of course, yeah. Right. So uh, yeah, but but you know, especially in UK, tapes were big because tapes were cheap, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it seemed like discs over here were definitely the rage, and tapes over there were definitely the, the thing. Yeah. Yeah. But also it's... over here nowadays, like over there, there's still a big demo scene. It's probably because you guys have like extra cycles to work with that we don't have. But over <laughs> here, it's always it's kind of <laughs> it's always been a hardware thing. You know, and and you know, uh, it just seems like hardware development's much bigger in America than than software development. You know, that's interesting. I, I just had this this discussion with HJ a few days ago that I think since we since we did Scene World, we kind of helped to make every game release nowadays being officially NTSC fixed. You know, because right. suddenly being NTSC compatible is a thing. You know. Yeah, and that's that's really good and really positive, and and I'm glad. I I wish the American scene was bigger. You know, there's very few people doing demos in America. Um, it would be nice to see it. I would, you know, you have a couple get-togethers every year, like the VCF uh, and the World of Commodore and the uh, Commodore, uh, the one in uh, Canada. There's a couple get-togethers every year, but in, again, it's not like the parties in Europe where the groups actually you know, yeah. get together and have their own little underground uh, competitions. And uh, we just don't have that mindset here. I, w I wish there was more of that, We, you know, because I would, I would totally go and, you know, get something together to show off and, and to compete with. But, 
We just we've just never had that here. Yeah, we were more of a the U.S. was always more kind of a user group meeting, like just kind of yeah. You know, you'd go and you'd copy your your discs and whatnot, and you'd discuss you know how to do the newest geos thing or or whatever, and and totally, and that was it. it was, was you know grandpa and his and his <laughs> uh, whatever you know this. Grandma's quilt program, <laughs> and somebody would make the the newsletter on print shop or mm-hmm. whatever. Yep. And uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there was a group I once belonged to called Commodore Users and Friends of the Federation. So it was like a, sla- <laughs> a Commodore slash Star Trek group. <laughs> and the newsletter would be in Klingon or something. Yeah, it was like yeah, it was like it was called Cuff. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> Funny, funny, funny. Yeah, they didn't they didn't have very cool names over here either. So it wasn't like, you know, Death Party or anything like that. It was like Sug. Yeah, yeah. Charg and users group. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, that's a that's a badass group. I'm so glad I belong to that. Yep. <laughs> this is really renegade. <laughs> oh jeez. So yeah, <laughs> it didn't help establish uh, you know, Young hackers, yeah. but what are you gonna do? Well, we we definitely should invite Robert Bernardo for an interview. He's he's still the big shot in user group terms. Is, is there is there such a thing as a big shot in user group terms? I mean, I mean, I you know, user groups have kind of dwindled to the point where there's not too many left, and if there are, it's like three people. Well, Ber- Robert Bernardo is still around. Yeah, that's He's one guy. He's still very active. <laughs> What's the one in uh, in the Northwest uh, that uh, uh, the guy? Why am I blanking on his oh, name? The, um, guy, the guy who created the uh, the Comet modem, and he does the the oh. PDX, the Portland Users Group. And there's also the one that star. Is that the same one that Starbucks? Did the expose on where all the mm-hmm. Commodore guys got together and and well, that's Kevin Castillo's. That's our okay. our uh, guy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But there's the PDX group. Yeah, I I'm not really too familiar with with how many groups there are. If they yeah. are though, yeah, it's like it's like three guys. Yeah. And it's like <laughs> they're like you guys are still renting. I, I don't even know if the places even know they're still renting the space to them. <laughs> <laughs> so we should get every Monday. Yeah. So we should get Robert Bernardo while he is still around. When I yeah. hear that, <laughs> right? Yeah, interesting. Um, now I was that, in. I grew up in in North Jersey, and I think you're in New York, right? Yeah, so, I grew up in Buffalo, New York, okay. now, uh, the other side of the state. But yeah, I've been here for a long time. Well, you've got. You've, we could actually plug your your record and stuff because if you've got one out, we could. Nick Vivid, watch it fly. It's free download at nickvivid.com. N i c k v i v i d dot com. And you actually cool. have a tape release too, because I bought it. Yeah, yeah, I put it on a cassette. It's it's kind of an old school funky electronic record. So I was like, in in, um, I. I'm so I sort of know a certain amount of guys in a boombox collecting scene, and a couple of them were like, "You should release this on cassette." So I did. So there it is. So um, and I and it actually sounds really good. You know, I I put it on old Cobalt Formula tape, kind of gives it that real low, nice tight low end, uh, and the kind of vintage funkiness. It sounds great on cassette. I actually think it sounds better on cassette than it does on digital. So. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Wow. But the whole record was done with analog, you know, as as analog as a digital record can be, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, which these days is actually pretty good. They have plugins like Nebula, which I'm a big fan of, uh, which actually sample old hardware. So I threw the album through an entire Neve vintage Neve console that was emulated in Nebula, and uh, I still have my old tape machine. I got the Revox A77 up there. You guys can see it won't be in the podcast, but uh, I've got an old vintage, you know, early 70s Revox A77. And I used to own a recording studio on the Lower East Side of Manhattan where I had, you know, an old Yamaha board and the tape machines hooked up and nothing but analog gear. Um, so, you know, I still am a big fan of all that stuff. So, you are pretty big in the New York music scene, aren't you? Because when I was Googling you, I found interviews with you and stuff. I've done stuff. I don't feel like I've reached anywhere near the level of uh notoriety i strive to uh but uh i'd like to be a lot more famous than i am right now um but i've done a lot um uh, you know i came here on a mission uh a little over 10 years ago to make a really big dent in the new york music scene at the time i was doing rock and roll stuff because that's kind of what i knew And that's what I was doing at the time. And that's my old manager, um, mentor, was a big rock manager in the 1970s and 1980s. And uh, he encouraged me to move to New York. So that's what I did. And I thought I was going to be the next rock and roll sensation. And I thought putting a band together in New York was going to take a week and that it was just all going to magically happen. It took forever. And... The band I put together was really, we were good. Uh, we had a lot of energy and we had a lot of dysfunction, which I think is important in a rock and roll band. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's good when the band members hate each other. Um, and, okay. <laughs> and that, that tension, I, I just like that tension. I like that dysfunction and I like the, the, I like the, I like the idea that things can fall apart at any second. And uh, so I created a band that had that dynamic in it, and then it didn't last, and I was surprised. Um, so I kind of created my own sense of these things that I thought were really cool, but I don't think anybody ever got a chance to really see them before they went the full distance. Mm. Um, I, 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 I'm really proud of a lot of the things I've done, but I just don't think anybody ever got a chance to see them before they burned out. Um, so after the last band I was in, I, they're still together, but I, I left when I felt like it had reached its pinnacle and it wasn't going to go any further. And this time around, um, I just decided that I was going to try a whole new kind of music. I was kind of, I was kind of beat up on the rock thing. Uh, I got, I injured my legs uh, a year and a half ago, uh, after I lost my old studio I was really stressed out about a lot of things that were going on in my life. Family member was really sick and um, was dealing with that on an emotional level and I was really stressed out and I just one day I lifted something that was way too heavy for me and I felt my legs go from underneath me and I, basically what happened was I strained my entire core. I couldn't stand up without putting pressure on my chest muscles because they were actually trying to keep me keep me standing up. So I had to stay in bed for a whole month and I basically had time to reflect on my life and what I was doing. And I said, what I'm going to do this time around in order to have something that's going to have a sense of longevity is I'm going to stay a solo artist 
and I'm not going to have any backup musicians. I'm going to do what the hip-hop guys do and play the backing tapes. Uh, I'm going to create a theatrical presentation, which means I'm going to run my own sound and lights. I'm going to devise a lighting show and a video show. And I'm going to do more electronic music and, and R&B style music because people can accept that. Plus, I don't think rock and roll really translates well with backing tapes. Um, I'm going to get more into my synth and electronic roots. And I'm going to focus more in this direction so that I can do something that I might actually have a chance of having some longevity this time around. Plus, it's the kind of music I'd never really written before. I was excited to do something new for the first time in like 10, 12 years. And uh, so that's what I'm doing now is, is kind of redefining what my sound is. And, and uh, it's nice to be a solo artist for once and, and do something that I actually will last as long as I want it to now, as long as I wake up every morning and still want to do it. Mm. I don't have to worry about band members quitting and things falling apart. I can just now, if I, you know, I can focus on how long it, it goes and, and, and how determined the really the drive behind it is, is up to my, you know, it's totally at my discretion. And, uh, so as long as I feel driven to work on it, I'm going to work on it. So, I, you know, I want to tour the world. I want to live in a Winnebago. My girl and I want to like get a, get a Winnebago and travel all over the country, and travel all over Europe and go to Japan. And I want to play shows and clubs, and art galleries and art spaces for people who'd like to see me play. And I want that to be what I do with my life. And I've always wanted that to be what I do with my life. So um, now, hopefully, I'm finally in a position to be able to do that now that I can call the shots. So, yeah, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> that's how cool. I got here. <laughs> Very cool. So, uh, and it's nice because now doing electronic music, I can bring, when I was doing rock and roll, I loved my Commodore 64, but I couldn't bring yeah. that musical aspect into it in any way that made sense. And now that I'm doing this more electronic thing, um, the Commodore is, you know, a much bigger, plays a much bigger role. Well, I mean, that is actually what a lot of people are doing since a couple of years. I mean, we had we had Yeruntel and Tess Fryser on the show, and they were exactly doing the same thing, mixing sits, tunes, and mm -hmm. sounds with with other styles of music. Welle Erdball in, in Germany did started that a long time ago, I think. I think they were like kind of the first who would who would come on stage and do the Essex uh, the Essex sixty four as an instrument and combine that yeah right. you know? and they are still doing it today and but on a living actually it's interesting they are touring around as a band and from what i heard they are not really sheep to book so seems to work yeah that's the thing i'm hoping for at some point hopefully my price will go up <laughs> you know capitalism at its finest you know i just need to create the demand you know there's certainly no shortage. The thing I've always been very lucky about and the thing I've always really enjoyed is I've always found myself to, and I've always felt I was a really good songwriter. I always felt like I could sit there and kind of jam and create moody chords that go over and over in a circle and kind of create this kind of, you know, hypnotic thing. But at the end of the day, I've always kind of been a pop songwriter. And I like songs with a verse and a chorus and a hook and a melody and lyrics that you can really kind of dig into and find some meaning in. And um, that's always been what I've really been into. And, and I feel like uh, now it's like for me, it's the, the best of all worlds. There's this kind of jammy aspect, but there's also songs. 
Um, and I, and I'm, I'm, I've always felt I was really good at that. And, and hopefully more people will find that out as time goes on. But uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun so far. So uh, the retro hype that is happening since the last six, seven years is really helping you in that aspect. It, yeah, I guess so. I'm not really paying too much attention to it yet. I wanted just to kind of get my idea of what my my way of doing this kind of music sounded like out of the out of the box for the first record. And now I'm starting to go and see what people have been doing for the last six, seven years. Uh, I didn't really want to pay too much attention to it. I wanted to kind of just do Your my own. interpretation yeah. of what my version of electronic music would sound like, so I wouldn't be too influenced to in, into um, mainstream. I, yeah, I didn't want to feel like I was trying to do what I thought I should do. I wanted to kind of go for my impulses uh, naturally first, just to make sure I wasn't make sure I could do music that was true to myself and sound like this. So, but now I can, now I can listen to things that are a little more recent and uh, pay attention to them and say, what am I doing? That's kind of, you know, well, yeah, I want to be contemporary. I don't want to sound like throwback eighties pop completely, <laughs> even though that's a big part of my sound. Uh, I don't want to throw like 70 sound like seventies throwback music either. You know, uh, even though I'm a big Kraftwerk fan, I don't want to sound like Kraftwerk. I, I you know, stuff like Kraftwerk and Noi, all those bands. Uh, <laughs> I, I love that music. And I want to bring that into what I'm doing, but I also want to be contemporary. And and uh, so, yeah, it's it's a it's art and commerce struggle and, and art and trendy struggle. But uh, that's, that's stuff that just stays internal. Eventually, I'll work it all out and the next record will be solid, I'm sure. I'm not. I'm not concerned about my integrity at this point. I kind of know when I'm being true to myself and when I'm not. But I feel like being true to myself is a much wider canvas than I give myself credit for. So, I'll. I'll. But yeah, now I'm starting to allow myself to be influenced by newer things. As As Jeroen tells that when we interviewed him and Tess Fries, he said copying is the best way of flattering. Yeah. My old manager, uh, you know, he 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 gave me a lot of really good advice. And his his one of his things that I remember to this day is he said, "Good artists are good artists. The best artists know exactly what to steal." Yeah. <laughs> and, and so yeah, of course. You know, plagiarism is, and and for being a guy who likes you know underground illegal stuff, theft is not a problem. <laughs> I have no qualms about outright thieving things. So, nice. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I'm I'm excited about what the future holds, and and also it's it's funny that like yeah, there's a this neat little chiptune scene happening in New York. Not so much with the Commodore, but a lot of people are using the Game Boys to make records. Um, and, uh, I'll, I'll, uh, there's a, a couple cool hacker spaces. I belong to like the local 2600 group, uh, that meets once a month and, uh, I'll hang out with those guys. And there's a lot of people into the chiptune scene. I think I'm the only person who uses a Commodore 64 at the, at the group, but, um, you know, we have the hackers on planet earth, uh, convention coming up, which is a lot like, um, Oh, what's the one that happens in Europe every year? Uh, the big hacker meetup. I can't remember the name of it offhand. 
But, uh, you know, there's DEFCON in Las Vegas. There's Hope in New York. And uh, last time at Hope, two years ago, I had a, I had brought my Commodore 64 with me, and I was playing, you know, 2600 hertz tones with, and red box tones with a tone dialer software. <laughs> <coughs> um, that was a lot of fun. But, um, uh, so, yeah, the, the, there's, there's a bit of a chiptune scene out here. I'm not completely into it, but at some of the hacker spaces, they do chiptune concerts, and I'll go and hang out. Hmm. And uh, it's kind of neat. It's, it's, it's an interesting scene for sure. Hmm. It's odd that you'd be the only one with the 64 because, you know, it, it would seem like the SID is the, the chiptune platform that is, like, the most celebrated out of all of them. It is, and there's there's people who uh, who own SID stations and stuff, but you got to remember the Game Boy is more portable. Yeah, and I think <laughs> that's why you know you could just carry around all your songs on this thing. Oh you know, come on! As opposed to the SX sixty four. Oh come on! I would, I would totally <laughs> carry around my my SX sixty four. Like no, in in New York, nobody. I mean, you know, I'm not taking that thing on the train. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not walking. You know, I'm not walking a mile to the train with my SX64 just to go to a chiptunes <laughs> concert. Plus, I got to, you know, yeah, it's not worth it, I think. I think that's that's probably the reason most people are picking the Game Boy. Hmm. Portability, especially in this city. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Newer trains here in Germany, they have a power outlet in modern trains. Mm -hmm. And you can book a table if you, if you need one. Yeah. But, but most tables are pretty small for like tiny notebooks. Yeah. And then I get right. my SX64. <laughs> we don't we don't we don't have that. We don't have that over here. As you as you know, I, I took Jorg on the path and there's just no there's nowhere to do anything there. No, no, not at all. So yeah, if you're hopping on the, the train system in New York or Jersey, it's yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. Might, I mean, plus you're at your destination within a half hour yeah. anyway. You might be able <laughs> to set up on the, on your neighbor's lap. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. I mean, the train that we used to get actually to New to New York was pretty funny because it was like, ooh, 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 you know, <laughs> going up and down. Like, okay, yeah. this is the no, not the modern, not the most modern train system. It's really a shame because uh, you know Amtrak, our nationwide train system, they actually rent that uh, from the the uh, from the freight lines. The freight lines own all the tracks. And so Amtrak has to kind of use whatever they allow them to have. Our mass transit could be so much better. Oh, yeah. <coughs> it would be amazing to have, like, you, you know, what they have in Europe is just so far, in a way, leaps and bounds ahead of us in terms of mass transit in, in the trains system. I'd love to see a great train system in America and a better train system in New York. We had a bad hurricane a couple years ago that flooded a couple of our larger train systems and we have uh one called the L train which I think is like two hundred and fifty thousand riders every day. And they actually have to shut that down because of the water damage. In like two years they're planning on a total shutdown of that train system for over a year. Yeah. Which is gonna cause two hundred and fifty thousand people every day not <laughs> with no way to get to work. So it's gonna be really crazy here in the next uh a couple of years where um People aren't really sure how they're going to get around and, yeah. and what they're going to do about it. Somebody created the idea of putting – that tr particular train goes under the East River between Brooklyn and Manhattan. And uh, people were thinking, well, while it's shut down, they could create like this floating 
<laughs> floating, uh, what was it, like a floating tunnel that would float on the East River. Some some kids from MIT came up with this idea <laughs> to create a floating tunnel that would be like air, you know, it'd be like a huge air mattress. <laughs> right. Well, so I guess we, we've spoken about everything, even about the train system. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, you are a really very interesting person. I didn't know you had so much things you did, you know. I only knew that one part. That one yeah. part you did for SceneWorld. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my my Commodore history is long and, uh, you know. But, yeah, it's uh, it's um, it's still fun, you know. It's just it's part of my childhood and never want to let it go. Yeah. I just refuse to. <laughs> yeah. So. Now, did you, did you do stuff with – did you do demo stuff? Uh, not really. Only in basic. I would, mm. I would write programs in basic. I was, I wrote a couple terminal programs cause I was also, you know, again, being big into the BBS thing, mm. but I was mostly like rewriting code from other terminal programs and stealing their ML. Okay. So I was never really, you know, even the one I did a couple years ago, strike term was just a hack of Nova term. Um, and that it was just basically because I didn't like I wanted something that looked like you know you're dialing IP addresses instead of phone numbers, so it made a little more sense to somebody who was new to all this. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I you know when I was a kid, I really didn't do any coding at all, and then only until uh, Laxity had their last demo or intro competition a year and a half ago did I I finally was like okay I'm gonna actually learn Turbo Assembler and actually write some code. So um, I did, when I was part of that user group, uh, I had a little cracking group called UDI, Underground Domain Incorporated, because I wanted my own three, you know, my own three-letter <laughs> group, you know, like FBR and like all the other ones that I thought were cool. I'm like, I'm going to have UDI. And uh, so I just had all my friends who were like, okay, come up with a name. You're going to be Breaker. Okay, I'm going to be Mojo. I'm going to be Phoenix, you know. I'm like, So I had all, like this group of my friends who all had Commodore 64s, and this is our group. But we didn't do anything, <laughs> you know. Nobody knew how to do anything. We just all copied games. But So uh, I had one other kid who actually knew how to program in BASIC, and he could create sprites. And so we created this intro in BASIC with a BASIC sprite thing that actually moved like one thing at a time around the screen with the UDI logo and created a scroller in BASIC that would move one letter at a time <laughs> and it had these like flashing UDI things. But it was all in BASIC and it looked horrible, I guess by modern standards. Wow. But, uh, but uh, at the time, I was like, yeah, we have an intro, you know. Um, but it was all written in BASIC, mm. so... Yeah, that was that was as cool as it ever got for me back then. And then I think it, the memory issues were so bad that it couldn't even load the next program you were intending to have it attached to. <laughs> so, yeah. But I ended up. What I did was um, for the uh, for the intro competition. I actually still had that basic intro from back then. I actually grabbed the sprites that that guy used, and I used them in my last intro. Mm. So uh, that I did for the intro compo. So that was kind of neat. That. I was able to use something from back then as part of what I, you know, did recently. But that was just a once I did that I kind of got that out of my system. I didn't need to do it again. But it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I feel almost like NTSC is having almost a little bit of a resurgence lately. It would be nice. I mean, I saw every once in a while I see a demo that somebody does and it actually looks really cool. 
Mm. And uh, it would be nice if more guys just even put out regular demos with effects that we've already seen before. It'd be fine. Yeah. Just something something that was cool or neat or had a, a you know a rasterized photo that they took off online and be like, yeah, I just created a koala out of this and a little scrolly text and some original music or even some hacked music from something else just to put something out, I yeah. think would. I actually, actually, when I saw Nick's tape during lunchtime, I had an idea for a fun release. I think instead of a disc Mac, we should, we could make an issue and that would be a tape Mac. <laughs> that would be totally fun, you know, like, a tap file, and then you would like. That would be interesting. Would be like loading one text after another, you know? Yeah, Coming yeah. up next. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd be down for seeing that. Yeah. I, I, I guess that, that, that hasn't been done before, you know? Yeah, I don't think that has been done. No. <laughs> nobody's, nobody's made a tape mag before? I, <laughs> They'll have to make a new, uh, a new category wow. on the CSTV for that. Genius, then. <laughs> First time ever. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's that's my thing. I like to make things the first time. I, you know, yeah, right. If you've done something that's never been done before, that at least now you could, you know, on the Commodore sixty four, if you can find something that hasn't been done before, yeah. <laughs> it's got validity. Well, scene world is at least one thing that have, hasn't been done before. And hey, we are still around, you know. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> and now we even have a podcast, you know. <laughs> yeah, a YouTube channel and a Twitch stream channel, and uh. <laughs> and there's a lot of and you guys have also uh, I say you guys I I feel like I'm not part of it most of the time, but but no, really you are you yeah, are no I am, but you know it's like uh, you know when I get updates from you, it's like hey we're in you know we're in this magazine and we're in that magazine or this this you know convention is spotlighting us or that thing's spotlighting us. I, it's pretty impressive all the stuff you're doing to get the word out. <laughs> well, John actually said he will he will make a booth for the EEEC. I think yeah. it was called. Yeah. So we 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 will have for the first time a ECC. official. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so for the first time we will have an official booth, and we, John will represent us. So. Oh boy. That's nice. kind of cool. Yeah. I still never made it out to that either. That's you know Chicago's like very tough to get to. Even though I keep having people telling me they'll give me a ride out, I just I still never make it out for that. But that's yeah, another been, thing. I've been putting that one off for about uh, eight years now. Yeah, <laughs> every year it's like, yeah, maybe I'll go to this one. Uh, no, I'm not gonna. Have guys upstate are like, hey, if you can get upstate, we'll give you a ride the rest of the way to Chicago. And I'm like, eh. Yeah. Well, it's now cool too. You know what I what I really love seeing is when I see photos from from that, and I see guys who have tables full of old things still in the original packaging. Oh, it's like here's a here's a bunch of super snapshot V4s ready to you know yeah. just selling. I'm like, you know, if I was there, I would totally buy like one of each of those just to like have the old school feeling of buying something <laughs> new for the first time from, from like the old days. You know, yeah. so when we had the store. I remember the day that, you know, the Final Cartridge 3 came out and we got that. And I still have my original Final Cartridge 3, you know. Um, it never you know, breaks. Those were yeah. really magical times. Right. And, uh, I still have the one from my grandfather that we bought new. Never broke. Still around. Still around. Yeah, I know. It's amazing with these machines. 
what they made. They actually made stuff that lasted for the most part. But but the funniest funniest moment is when somebody pops up something on eBay and saying rare, you know, and mm -hmm. then you have it like 50 times for sale. Yeah. And yeah. Like, okay, this is how rare it is. Like 50 times on eBay, it's rare. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. The best stuff I find is on Craigslist. Um, I'll find a lot of local cool things on Craigslist. I'll check for comments. Yeah, but but this is Germany. Unfortunately, we don't have Craig's, Craigslist. Yeah, I mean we have it. We have Craigslist Germany, but it does, doesn't. Nobody actually knows it. Nobody uses it. The best yeah, stuff I've I got, found is in like like just random garage sales because if people put it up on Craigslist, right. usually they know kind of what they're putting up. The same right. thing with eBay. It's like they know what they're putting up, so it's going to be priced pretty high but you go you find some you know random schlub down the street that's having a garage sale and they've got all this stuff out there they have no it's just it's been in their basement for 10 years they don't know what it is and they just want to get rid of every, it right every once in a while on craigslist though you get that too i bought a lot um a couple years ago right before hope i wanted to get another computer so i get, could have a couple on display and there was this guy who had a lot for i think 150 bucks and it was three commodore 64s 164 c uh, a couple printers, um, uh, SwiftLink, which was really nice. Couple, you know, bunch of discs and a whole bunch of stuff. A seventeen oh two, and it was like I think like a hundred fifty bucks for everything. Mm. So and like I just went and picked it up that day, and it was like it was on Craigslist for like a week, and nobody nobody bid on it. So yeah, so you know, every once in a while you get lucky. You know, I think in America that's like the good thing is that the interest really isn't there for the computer. Yeah. So, if you find stuff, it's uh, it's it's relatively easy to get. Yeah. Maybe I'm living in the wrong country then. Yeah. yeah. There was a guy in Long Island a couple weeks ago. Apparently, he was selling his old BBS setup from the '80s because he had the Lieutenant Colonel hard drive, Ooh. and he had a whole bunch of other stuff. And I totally missed out on. It. I could have gotten a Lieutenant Colonel for like fifty bucks. Oof. And uh, that would have been fun, even though the the you know, it's it's obsolete by today's yeah. standards. It's still it would have been cool to like just throw up a BBS running on the Lieutenant Colonel, yeah, to see what it looked like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, what can you do? Then you get people putting things on that don't actually know what they're they're getting. I just got this, and I thought I, I there was they they had it listed as a C sixty four mouse, and I was like ooh ooh, and it's not one hundred and twenty dollars like every other thirteen fifty one is. Right, it was like, 10. and you can actually use it for Seedworld. Right, it was like it was like ten bucks. So I was like, oh yeah, well, it's a tank mouse. It's a, it's an Amiga. It doesn't work. Ah. Oh, too bad. So at least I didn't spend one hundred and twenty bucks on it, but it's not at all what they thought it was. Not a thirteen fifty one. Nope, no, it's too a bad. it's an Amiga tank mouse. I can't even remember if I ever owned one of those mouses. I may have right at the end. I may have had one of those. Don't you say mice in English? Not if it not for well, the... I, I we do say mice, yeah. But I sometimes use yeah. the wrong vernacular, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had one of these uh well I, I, the actual 1351 for a while. I got it new, but I mean it it's with all of my other 64 stuff in some other dimension somewhere. I don't know where it ended up. Right. <laughs> so. Right. So I've been thinking I've got the little eye controller thingy. You know, the little joystick that that clips onto the side of the keyboard. Uh huh. Oh yeah, I got those. I had one of those. I don't yeah. know where mine is either. And it's got the little swirly. Yeah. Uh huh. Yep. Yep. Plug. Yeah, yeah I, I, I had one of those. Yeah, I got one of them. I've been using that thing for graphics and stuff, which has been great. But but I've just been thinking about like it'd be nice just to have the mouse just to mess around with it and, and yeah, whatnot. right. But 
Right. You can't find them. Is that through. how most uh, of the graphic guys are doing their graphics these days? What's that? I always wondered how like some of the big graphic artists are doing their graphics because some of the stuff looks incredible, and I have no idea how. Many they... people, many people do it on a PC. I mean, there's yeah. there's plenty of uh, graphic stuff for the PC, like P1, whatever. Oh, yeah. right, right. I, I, I don't... I've seen some of the conversion programs, but I just didn't know how a couple of the graphic artists, if they were still. I'm such a purist. Like, yeah, if if I can't do it in Turbo Assembler on a real machine, I'm not going to bother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I do most of mine on, a, on an actual machine, and I usually just mm-hmm. use the keyboard for pixeling it in. But but if I need to make like a long line or something, that's a pain. So I got the little eye controller thingy sitting next yeah, to okay. it to use. But or nice. if I'm on the road, I'll do it on the emulator, and I've got a whole. Uh, I don't know where I put it. Oh, I've got a whole keyboard with the. With the proper C64 mappings, so I can. Oh, nice! So I can <laughs> use that on the road if I'm somewhere else. Where'd you get that thing? I, I just did their decals. You just stick on the keys. You actually made that? No, you, you can order it. Oh, really? Yeah, they're just oh. a whole set of stickers. The one thing I want to get right now is a MIDI controller. Hmm. I'm still. Uh, there's the one you can build yourself. I just haven't done it. Why, why don't you buy the Kerberos from Germany? That's pretty neat. Oh, is it? Yeah. It wasn't the, the Messiah cartridge? Isn't that something that's... that's? Yeah, that's that too. I, I actually have it. Yeah, from Sweden. That's also... And that's another thing. And it also has a MIDI connector. Yeah. And it has okay. a graphical interface, so you can actually move it around like Cubase. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. That's yeah, the Messiah. There's the, there was the... You know, there's that Station 64 that just came out uh, over like a year ago. And it's it's just literally... <coughs> Excuse me. It's literally a SID station on the Commodore, so you can like just use keyboard for playing live. It's not for yeah. the original SID station is any... pretty rare, actually. Yes. So basically, it's like a recreation of the SID station, and you don't have to do you know. There's no tracking on it or anything. It's just the sounds hmm. and uh, full keyboard, you know, three voice mapping, which is pretty cool. Um, so well, yeah, I just want to get a MIDI to play with that with my MIDI keyboard, but. Hmm. But as it is, I still have fun playing on the Commodore 64 keyboard. <laughs> it was cool. You know what was also cool is, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy who developed the 128. Uh, Dave Haney? Bill Hurd. Bill Hurd. I interviewed him too, yeah. Yeah, he, he works for um, Hackaday now. Yeah, he plugged so us. He's too. always doing Commodore stuff on Hackaday. And I remember running into those guys when I did the uh, Hope Convention two years ago and they had a table right near mine and they were all about what I was doing with the Commodore and I couldn't figure it out and they're like oh Bill Hurd's on our board of directors and we're doing Commodore 64 videos in a hack a day all the time and I thought that was pretty cool yeah. uh, so that like yeah because then like the the guys uh, across from me with the Vintage Computer Fed- Federation the uh, the VCF Festival guys maybe? Vintage Computer Festival yeah, they they yeah. do the one on the East Coast every year. They were across yeah. from me with the whole Apple exhibit, and they actually got really offended that I was there doing a Commodore exhibit because they were like, <laughs> they were like who's this guy doing a Commodore thing? That's our thing. That's what we do. <laughs> and, uh, and, they, and like I was like trying to be really nice. I'm like, oh hey, nice to meet you guys. You know, I helped them carry all their Apple stuff upstairs to the convention. You know, just like in the they were like, well, they just didn't want anything to do with it the entire weekend. And they had this like, you know, twenty seven different Apple computers running. At one point one of their apples broke and they needed a 
one of the RAM chips that I, you know, obviously they go between both computers. And uh, so I actually had a couple boards on me. So I gave them a RAM chip and they didn't even say thank you. They were just like, it was almost like it was owed to them. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Kind of on the outs with those guys right now. At Uh, least my perception. I had no idea they were even going to be there. But, uh, and and my girlfriend wanted me to print out a a thing on the printer uh, with, uh, with print shop that said, Commodore rules, Apple drools, you know, like <laughs> old school, old school yeah. taunting, yeah. you know, between yeah. the Commodore and Apple clubs. Yeah. yeah. We didn't do it. Yeah, you're right. When when I was interviewing Chuck Paddle, he was like, hey, Apple bought trips from us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. You would have been nothing without us. Exactly. Yeah. Apple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that sucked, too, because in school... The only thing they would have in the school was the apples. You know, Commodore was not in the schools here. They, I think that that's been discussed before that, you know, the marketing to the schools was so horrible on Commodore's part. Yeah. We had two and Commodores they, in my school. You did, maybe. Yeah, we, we had the pets. Like uh, when I was like in elementary school, we had a pet. Uh, but like when it came to like, uh, yeah, elementary school, the apples came in. And uh, that was – everybody was using those and they were encouraging all the kids to use the apples. And the games weren't there. The quality wasn't there. The computer just wasn't as good. I couldn't figure out why everybody loved that thing. Yeah. Commodore was just vastly superior in all aspects. We had the uh, – I think I, they were Apple IIs and they were on the big metal carts that they would take from classroom to classroom. There yeah. was like three of them and you'd have to wait to get your turn to use the Bank Street Writer or some garbage software. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I remember a kid brought in Skater Die one day, and you you were trying to do the half pipe, and the the player would go do, 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 around the thing. I'm like, you couldn't even get good graphics. Yeah. It was like Skater Die looked, or not Skater Die. It was like, yeah, it was Skater Die or California Games, but it was like, dun, 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 dun. Mm-hmm. like come on. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah, I remember that's what I had had kind of, you know, grown up on. That's what I was used to. And then I got the 64, and I was kind of... I'd never heard of a Commodore 64. Nobody had one. Nobody right. knew anything about it. And But, I mean, it didn't take long before, you know, I'm looking at it, and and it was so so much better than, you know, these Apple IIs with their weird, their weird like, like orange and blue color scheme and the, you know, mm-hmm. like the, the bleed in the monitor and stuff. It was just... It seemed so... So half-assed compared to what the 64 was capable of doing it was amazing how how much i mean vision they had when they built this machine because it's like it's still they're still finding out things you can do on it it's still like exploring different modes of creativity with it Mm -hmm. it's fascinating Oh, that's another interesting thing I should I should mention too that might be good for the podcast is when I was doing the hope convention uh, two years ago, Edward Snowden was our uh, uh, was the main speaker. Really? He came over from Russia and did the. He was the main keynote, and uh, his parents were actually at the convention. Whoa! And okay. Bernie S, famous hacker from Philadelphia, who was partially involved in setting up the whole thing, brought him brought his parents over to my table said, Nick, I'd like you to meet Edward Snowden's parents. And they said, oh, Edward's first computer was a Commodore 64. 
<laughs> and so we can thank the Commodore 64 for sending Edward Snowden <laughs> on his eventual rise in the hacker community to be the whistleblower genius that he was. So they said his first video game was Mule. Oh. And that I think Mule was the first game. And they, they mentioned one other game I can't remember. But I know they mentioned he used to play Mule a lot when he was a little kid. Nice. So, yeah. So that was his first computer. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for sitting with us. All right, gentlemen. All right. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Yes, yeah, you pleasure too. And let me know what's up and we'll stay in touch, AJ. All right. Cool. Sounds yeah. Good. So talk to you soon. All right, Bye. guys. Bye-bye. And that was Nick Vivid. You can check him out and grab his album, Watch It Fly, at nickvivid.com. Uh, you can actually even get it on cassette. Mm. Um, as for us, you know where to find us, sceneworld.org. Uh, we're on iTunes. We're on any number of podcast aggregation sites. Um, my site is justwestofhell.com. Jorg is over at nafcom.eu. And we will see you next time. Cowabunga! <laughs> <laughs>